As you find your seat, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4. You guys did great. Isn't that fun? James 4. As we approach uh, time in the Word, uh, if you do have a younger child, we're glad that they could be here in the sanctuary. Uh, if you don't mind sitting towards the back, if they start having a hard time, they, they may not appreciate my teaching. I don't really understand, but it's a, it can be challenging for, for them. Uh, that way you can go to the foyer and minimize uh, distraction. Also, too, you know, if you need to use the restroom, by all means do. But if you're sitting in the front, uh, you know, uh, if you've got to go all the way out, if you could maybe sit towards the back, towards the rest of the service, because you know what rubbernecking is, right? It happens in church, too. It's like everybody's, like, tracking with the study, and then it's like, like right now, here comes Steve, like, right, like that. <laughs> so if you can avoid what Pastor Steve is doing right now, he's setting a bad example. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So. So let's read through James 4, 11 through verse 17. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges at the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Let's pray. Fathers, we approach your word and we're challenged with how short our life is, that it's a vapor that appears for a moment and vanishes away. God, would you teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts uh, to wisdom. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this service? Lead us and guide us in truth. We do ask, Father, that you would minimize distractions, whether it's internal in our hearts or just distractions here in the sanctuary. God, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. What can a day bring? That's a loaded question, isn't it? It can bring absolute joy. You can go to the height of the human experience, or it can bring absolute destruction and sorrow and devastation in our lives. For us as a family, this has really hit home uh, this last month. It was October 28th. We were driving up to Denver. It was when the Broncos were playing the Redskins, to give you a little bit of frame of, of reference. And we get a call from my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law was having extreme chest pains, and it turns out that he had to go to the hospital and was having a major heart attack. And the doctor said what really saved his life was the fact that my mother-in-law was there and got him to the hospital right away. They didn't call 911. It was, let's get in the car and go. And the neighbor came and helped to be able to get him in, into the car. And then the emergency room, they treated it right. They made the right call, got him the right medication, got the stent in the heart right away, and, and he's still with us. But I can tell you that I never expected that that would take place on a Sunday afternoon. It's a complete shock to the system. 
And then just last week, my cousin, he, uh, 60 years old, uh, he's my, my oldest cousin, he went home uh, to be with the Lord. My mom's the youngest of five. My grandma was 44, and my grandpa was 46 when my mom was born. So my oldest aunt was married and pregnant with my cousin Lloyd the same time that my grandma was pregnant with my mom. Does that make sense? It's a little bit complicated. But my, my cousin Lloyd is the one that went home to be with the Lord, and he had high blood pressure and a bad artery, and his wife had to work late, and he ended up going home to be with the Lord while his wife was working late. So I look at those two situations. My father-in-law's here because my mother-in-law was there when his heart attack happened. My cousin is home to be with the Lord because nobody was around when he had his particular difficulties. And that's just scratching the surface. I could go on and on about how there's different circumstances happening in my life and in this church where we just see God's hand, or sometimes he's taking someone home to be with the Lord, and you go, wow, th- these circumstances are lined up in such a way that this was God's time, his ordained time for them to go home to be with the Lord. And then another person's life, you go, wow, here's all of these circumstances, and they're still with us. So, so much can happen in a particular day. And the heart of this message, and it really is a heart-filled message that God has for us this morning, is life is short, so invest it in the kingdom of God. Invest your life into the will of God. We are investing our life in different places, in different goals. We're putting our time into different things, and we want to put our time into things that really matter. Before we look at the second half of chapter four, let's be reminded a little bit of the context of the book of James. The very introduction of the book of James is the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how James introduces himself. And it's important to remember that's a slave by choice. We've been impacted by the grace of God, so we choose to respond to God's grace by laying our life down. And James then goes on to describe what faith looks like as a bondservant. If you miss the bondservant topic, you can miss the heart of the whole book of James. Then he goes on to say, this is what faith looks like. To have joy in trial is an expression of faith. To ask God for wisdom in trial is faith lived out. To be quick to hear and slow to speak is faith in action. To not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. To care for widows and to care for for orphans. Maybe your heart has been stirred in this area of foster care or adoption. Family Lutheran Services is here this weekend and can be great to stop at the table and, and talk to them if the Lord's been moving your heart in that area of adoption. But any care that we give to widows and we give to orphans is pure religion. We're also challenged in the book of James to not treat poor people one way and rich people another way. To not just talk about our faith, but our faith is seen in our works. Remember chapter three, to have a tame tongue, a tongue that's submitted to the Holy Spirit, that's faith defined. There's two different kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world, but there's also the wisdom that God provides. So that's the context of the book. But then what's the context of chapter four? It's humility. If you were here with us last week or you missed it, go back and listen to it. But it was understanding how our desire for pleasure, sinful passions, it really steers us in a wrong direction. And we're broken over that and pour out our hearts to God. We draw near to God, we submit to God, we resist the devil. 
We're really dealing with our own sin. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Now the rest of the chapter of four is humility expressed. How does that humility that we learned about last week lived out, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? And there's two primary ways that we see humility lived out. So verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Humility produces a non-judgmental spirit. If we've really taken the time to live in the first half of chapter four, God has made us very aware of our own sin, then we find ourselves not in a place where we're beating other people up, that we're not speaking evil of others. And James, he says this in very clear language, doesn't he? He says, do not, do not speak evil of another brother. And if I have received God's grace and God's forgiveness, and I'm aware of my own warts, if you would, I'm going to be much more gracious and kind and gentle to others to not speak evil of them. How is this done? How do we tend to speak evil of others? Sometimes it's full-on slander. It's malicious. We're making up stuff that's not true to destroy someone else. Sometimes it's gossip. It's absolutely true, but it's someone else's shortcomings and their failures, and we're talking behind their back, aren't we? Sometimes in the midst of this process, it's being critical. We find ourselves just so critical with people. And we're critical to their face. We're critical behind their back. So what does this verse say? And what does this verse not say? This verse is not telling us that we're never to make a call. Jesus told us to judge rightly, didn't he? To judge righteously, that we know people by their fruits, where it should be able to identify a false teacher. There's times when a brother or sister in Christ has sinned against us, and we're to go to them in love and speak the truth. That's entirely different. That's because we love them. That's because we care for them. We can see that this is something that's damaging in their life, so we have to go to them in truth and in love and in grace. But that's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is I'm speaking evil. I'm, I'm running someone down. That's what this word evil means. I'm, I'm destroying them with my words. One of the blessings and advantages of teaching God's word is it makes you more aware of God's truth. And so in preparing this message this week, I had this almost post-it on my mouth, you know? Because I started to realize how many times do I just say something critical about someone else? How many times do I just begin to start to speak something evil about someone else? And a lot of times as believers, we're really not even aware of how many times we do this. And so may the word of God be that conviction to our souls and that conviction to our hearts to not speak evil of one another. If you're tracking with me, God's word gives us two reasons why we're not to speak evil of each other. Continuing in verse 11. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So as soon as we start to speak evil of a brother, we've broken the law. We've spoken evil of the law. Because what's the law summed up in? Very simply, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. So I've broken the law if I'm speaking evil to them. And by speaking evil of the law and breaking the law, I'm setting myself above the law. So the first reason 
to not speak evil of a brother or sister in Christ is I'm elevating myself above God's word. It's entirely different to open up the word of God with somebody and say, hey, this is what God's word says to you, and this is what God's word says to me as well, and it's another thing to speak evil of them and to judge them. Does that make sense? And with the law, there's no middle ground. There's no gray ground. Like, think of it this way. With a speed limit, you're either submitting to it or you've placed yourself above it. If I'm speeding, in essence, I'm saying that I don't agree with the posted speed limit. Maybe it's 45, but it really should be 55. You with me? You know what I'm saying? But the law doesn't give me any wiggle room. I'm either obeying it, I'm either submitting to it, or I'm placing myself above it. And it's the same way with God's word. I'm either submitting to it and I'm walking in love, or I'm placing myself above God's word. So once we start to criticize and speak evil and let our mouths run in regard to another person, we've placed ourselves above the word of God, above the law of God, which is not a good place to be. In verse 12, it tells us the second reason why we're not to speak evil of one another. There is one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. When I'm speaking evil of a brother or sister in Christ, I'm elevating myself above God. So humility has a non-judgmental spirit, but pride begins to speak evil of others, and we're elevating ourselves above God's word, but we're also elevating ourselves above God's position. Verse 12 says, he's the lawgiver. He's the one who's given the word, and he's the one that has the ability to save and to destroy. We don't have the ability to save anyone. God forbid, right? Only Jesus is the one who saves. We get to point people to Jesus, but we don't provide salvation for anyone. We don't destroy anyone. We don't have the ability to send anybody to hell. That would be terrible, right? To be judged by one another. Oh, you got voted off the island. You're going to hell, right? We don't have that power, praise the Lord, to do that. that that's God's position. He's the lawgiver. He saves. He's the one who destroys and this is expressed throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, it says, See now that I myself and he, there is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. Hannah, in her prayer in 1 Samuel 2, says, The Lord brings death and makes alive. Maybe one of the most powerful expressions of this is God's conversation at the end of the book of Job. If you haven't ever read it or read it recently, spend some time with it. It's the ultimate smackdown from God. God says, hey, I'm going to put you in your place and you need to hear this from me. And God says these words to Job. Brace yourself like a man. Now we should tremble when God says that to us. I will question you and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you con condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like this? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your words. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in their dust together shroud their faces in the grave, then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Isn't that strong language from God? You think you can judge someone? You think you can destroy someone? You think you can save someone? Go ahead and try it. How loud is your voice? 
You know, how, how's your ability to be able to humble a proud person? And so that leads us to the last question in verse 12. It says, who are you to judge another? That's not my place. I'm not to be speaking evil of them. I'm not to be bringing destruction into their lives. Church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, gang, this morning, this will set us free. Let God do the judging and let us do the loving. Our job's to love, to be there, to speak the truth, to rally around one another, to think the best of each other. It's God's job to judge. And doesn't he do a good job? He's able to take care of all of that stuff, sort all that stuff out, so we're able to focus in upon the loving. These are two short verses that we can almost miss in the book of James, but it is the true expression of humility. If I'm always criticizing others, finding fault in others, running people down with their words, why is that? What is it inside of me that causes me to do that? Is it, is it my own pride? Is it my own arrogance? elevating myself, and those are important questions to, to stop and realize. Sometimes even our spirituality, we think, well, you know, because I understand the scripture, or I have my quiet time or my devotion time, we've misunderstood a walk with Jesus if a walk with Jesus has correlated into tearing other people down. And turn it on its head, flip it upside down, flip the quarter, if you would, and say, you know, I'm going to look to compliment people today. Don't you love to be around an encourager? It's like, hey, thanks for doing the dishes, or you look nice today, or I can really see how you're pressing into your relationship with Christ and begin to be one that compliments others. Verse 13 now brings us into our second topic, and it's this issue of time. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. This is a great business plan. Here's this booming city. The economy is going good. We're still looking for that city in the United States. Uh, but in this particular situation, in the time that James wrote, there was a city that was just doing well. And you could get jobs there. And so this particular believer says, I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to be there for a year. I'm going to buy and sell and make a profit. The idea would be that you would buy low and sell high and walk away with making, making some money. This week I saw a license plate with someone that said trading. And that took me a second. It was like, what are they trading? Are like, they trading baseball cards or what exactly is going on here? And then I realized, oh yeah, they're a stock guy. That's what they're all about. And they're saying, hey, this is my identity. I'm a, I'm a trader. I'm trading. I'm buying low and I'm selling high and I'm making all of this money. And that's this place that this person is in is they're making plans. We tend to be planners as Americans. Have you noticed that? If you go spend some time in some other cultures, it'll really stand out. Think for a moment where you keep your calendar. Maybe it's in your phone and it's on your computer, your, your iCalendar. Maybe it's a calendar at home or a planner. And man, they're sure December really fills up, doesn't it? You find yourself having to have calendar meetings with your, with your family and saying, what, what do you got going on? What do I got going on? And putting all these things down on the calendars. We're already beginning to think about 2014 and beginning to lay things out for 2014. But you go to other cultures and say you're supposed to meet somebody at nine o'clock and do a particular thing. And this is a common occurrence on missions. And then you're there, it's nine o'clock, and the person you're supposed to meet is not there. 
and you're looking at your watch, and you're like, well, now it's 9.30, now it's 9.45, now it's 10 o'clock, and everybody around you is just going, chill out, you know? This is Mexico. This is Uganda. It happens when it happens. And you're like, no, I came here to do a task, and I want to get this done right now. And it's always a venture of patience for me because I find myself being the typical, typical American and saying, you know, we're going to plan things out and we're going to get these things done and this is why we came to do this missions trip. And as a country, the United States of America and even the countries of the world, we have great plans, but what we don't see in this verse and oftentimes what we don't see in our lives is consulting God with our plans. Our country is not looking to God for his will and for his kingdom to come as they try to solve problems, true? You'll never find the United Nations gathering together on their knees, crying out to the God of the Bible, the one true living God, Jesus Christ, and asking him for help in sorting things out. It's not in their plans. But a lot of times it's the same way for us. We put together a plan. It's not a bad plan. It's a good plan. It makes sense, but we haven't taken the time to give that plan over to the Lord. Here's the lesson in verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. This is so true. You have no idea what's gonna happen the rest of today, this afternoon. I heard a, the story of a friend this week where he got bad news where his boss called on a Sunday and said, it's not working out. I'll mail you your stuff. Isn't that brutal? not even come back in and get your stuff. I'm just going to mail it to you on a Sunday afternoon. Man, who would want to work for that shark, right? You never know. You could get that call from the boss that's saying, hey, it's just not working out. The company's not doing well. We're letting you go. You can get that phone call that the test results have come back bad and cancer has set in, or the exact opposite could happen. Man, the test results came back and you're in the clear. You've, you've gotten the job. So much could happen. I mean, we could slip out in the parking lot. I've done it before. Thankfully, I was fine. But anything can happen in a particular day. And so here's the truth from God. Is here you've planned out a whole entire year, maybe a whole entire five years or ten years, but you have no idea what's going to happen in one particular day. And to hold things loosely and to submit our plans to the will of God. In Proverbs 27, verse 1, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't get too far ahead of yourself, Jesus is telling us. Don't think too far out into the future, Tomorrow's going to take care of itself, but there's enough challenges and things to focus on today. Focus on this day that the Lord has given. Continuing in verse 14, it says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Consider that for just a moment. What is your life? Time is interesting. Let's think about time from a couple different perspectives. One from eternity. Hard to fathom. No beginning point, no ending point, forever, right? So what's my life compared to all of eternity? Almost unmeasurable. It's just a blip on the screen. 
And that brings us great hope if we know Christ is our Savior and we have eternal life because we know that this is just momentary. Soon and very soon, just like we sang this morning, we're going to see Christ and be like him. Isn't that going to be wonderful? To be like him and no longer struggle with sin? No strong, longer being tempted with sin? So we're to look at our lives in that respect and understand how short and the brevity of life. But we also measure time by our experience now here on this earth. Think about when you're eight years old, go way back to elementary school, maybe about third grade. One year, didn't it just seem like forever? I I can almost relive third grade in my mind, and it was like the longest year of my life, right? Because one year was one-eighth of my life. So it was a significant amount of time. But now, one year, especially with four kids, feels like one month. I blink my eyes, and it's another year. And I'm like, 2014, really? And I know I'll be writing 2013 for about two months, right? It just goes so incredibly fast. No matter if we're 75 or 85 or 95, or if we go home to be with the Lord at a much younger age. And the scripture says here, it's a vapor. A good morning, cold morning like this is a great example. You go out into the parking lot and you do a nice, strong breath and it's there for a moment and it's gone and that's our life. The Psalms express this and Job expressed it as well. In Psalms 102 verse three, it says, for my days vanish like smoke. Yes and amen, right? For some of us, we look back on our 20s and we go, they're gone like smoke. You know, no longer there. If you're in your 20s, all I got to say is enjoy them. In Psalms 103, verse 15, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. Job put it this way, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And you're saying, well, what in the word, will, la, 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 world is that, right? Sewing, zip, 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 zip. Your life is that quick, and then it's gone. Scripture also tells us here, then it vanishes to never return. Once life is gone, you can never get it back. We can't get 2013 back. We can't get the time that's already spent. It's spent. When a loved one passes away, this is what's most brutal about death is they're never going to return to this life and they vanish. It's especially hard as you enter into times like Thanksgiving and Christmas and if you've lost a loved one, we're praying for you. And as a church family, we pray for God's comfort over you and to minister to your hearts. What's interesting, even with someone that's very close to you, if they've been gone for 15 years, 20 years, you have to work to remember what they look like. And that hurts, doesn't it? You go, I know what they look like, but I got to take a second to try to remember what they look like. And so you get out a photo, you get out an old video, and it, it refreshes you of their memory, but it vanishes away. In Psalms 90, verse 12, this was Moses' prayer. And I would suggest that we would pray it as well. He says, so teach us to number our days so that we could apply our hearts to wisdom. God wants us to count our days, to think about how much time do I have here on this earth? And the ultimate answer is we don't know. We all have an expiration date stamped on the back of our head. We just don't know what that date is. So you might have 30 more years. You might have 30 more months. You could have 30 more minutes. We don't know. 
But when we really start to count our days, then we apply our hearts to wisdom and we say, this is how I need to live my life. I need to invest my life into the will of God. There's something fresh about being a new believer. Maybe you remember that time in your life. For me, it was my high school years. I would read things in the scripture and I begin to pray and I, I really believe that God would answer my prayers. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy how new believers do that? There's this simplicity and this confidence in prayer. So I was in my junior year of high school. It was the last week of high school, getting ready to take the finals. And I was in a Bible study, and this came up, Psalms 90, and afterwards there was a prayer time. And I remember praying with a group of four or five guys, and I said, God, would you teach me to number my days? Would you show me how short my life really is? Within three days, I found myself laying in a canyon in the Wasatch Mountains outside of Salt Lake City with a collapsed lung. I didn't know it was a collapsed lung. All I knew is that I couldn't breathe and everything was turning black. And I thought, this is it. Man, the Lord answered my prayer. (laughs) I got carried down into a stretcher into the hospital and it was a very vivid memory. God answered my prayer and he taught me my days are short. Don't take life for granted. Invest each day. Every day is a gift. You're alive today. You're breathing. Use that day. Unwrap that day to be enjoyed, to be lived for God's glory, to love those around us. If this really hits us this morning, we're going to go from this place and we're going to love those around us. We're going to express that we appreciate them. We're going to have some hard conversations that need to be had because we don't want to go to the grave at odds with someone that we care about. We're going to approach December differently. God's been speaking to my heart and challenging me in this, that there's so many people that don't know Christ. God wants to work in their lives, and we're simply to go after them. We're to go get them in the love of Jesus Christ because we speak with his authority. He's sending us out. And so this Thanksgiving, maybe there's someone that God wants you to share with in the grocery store, in your family, as we go into Christmas and we prepare for Christmas Eve services. Lord, who do you want me to to invite? Who do you want me to share the love of Jesus Christ with? We have truth, amen? We've got the best story that everybody needs to hear, that God loves them and he died for them. And Jesus wants them to have eternal life and abundant life. God, in a very short period of time in my high school years, showed me how short life is. I went to a small Christian high school, and in this small Christian high school graduating class of about 30 kids, there was three fellow students that went home to be with the Lord. One in a car accident, one from a failed artery, one from a plane crash. And when you go through that at a young age, it imprints on you that life is a gift. But I've got to tell you this morning, as I continue on in life, you get comfortable and you just start to think, oh, this, this isn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden something does happen, right? And it reaches out and it slaps you in the face and it reminds you life is short. Your life's a vapor. It will vanish. So how are you using your life? So verse 15 tells us how to use our life. Instead, you ought to say. So what we're not to say is, well, I've got a plan to go do this and to do that. But what we are to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. So humility submits plans to the will of God. Notice that this verse doesn't condemn having a plan. There's nothing wrong with having a plan. Have a business plan. 
Have some financial goals. Think about how you want to invest your time. I think that's a good steward of, of your time. But are those plans placed in God's hands? So the scripture tells us we should say, if the Lord wills, we shall live. First, we should assume that it's not a guarantee that we're going to make it till 2020. So we're saying, if the Lord wills, I'm going to be alive. If I, I, God desires, I shall live and do this or do that. When we express this, when we say this, we're open to God's redirection. If the Lord wills, this is my plan. I've set my course in this direction, but God has the permission to redirect. Has life really gone the way that you would expect it to? When you're in your early 20s and you sat down and you go, okay, this is how life's gonna go. I've got my little roadmap. For me, it's never gone the way I've expected. It's been better, but it hasn't been the way that I would expect. Now, I would think it's kind of like this, do, 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 and it's been, do, 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 do. I mean, it's just, it's just all over the place. And so we want to put it in God's hands and give him permission to redirect. It also shows us that God's in control. When we say the Lord wills, we're understanding he's the one that's in control. He's making the plans happen that he desires. And from the very core of us, we go, my life is short. And instead of having my plans, my ways, my agenda, I want God's will. And I'm submitting myself to his will and his plans. So does this mean that every time you make a plan, you need to say, if the Lord wills? Possibly, if it's from the heart. What James is not telling us is to make Christian cliches, right? To where we say stuff that really has no meaning. And so in that moment, if you feel led by the Spirit and you believe it and you mean it, say it. Man, if the, the Lord wills, I plan to do this in February. I plan to do this in March. But even more important than the words that we say is a heart that's submitted to this truth. Or in my heart, even if I'm saying, you know, I'm going to meet you for coffee Friday at three, in the back of my mind, I'm going, man, if the Lord wills. If I'm alive Friday at three, if something else doesn't come up, instead of putting these plans in concrete, I'm putting them in God's hands. I'm writing them in sand. I'm holding them loosely. This is a much better way to live, isn't it? Because God's going to intervene whether we submit it to his control or not. So it's much less frustrating for us if we place it in his hands and we're inviting him to intervene. In Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors builds in vain. This is a warning, but it's also an invitation. The warning is don't build your own life. But the invitation is God wants to build your life. Isn't that exciting? He's got a plan for your life. May not be comfortable, may not be easy, may not be what we choose, but it's for his glory and it's for his kingdom. And so we take our hands off of our life and we say, okay, Lord, you build the house. Many thoughts about this in my own life. And, and yesterday I had one of those dad moments. You, you have those as a parent when you just kind of look over at your kids and it's a, it's a peaceful mo moment. It's a time of joy. And it's like everything just goes into slow motion for just a second. And I don't know if it's this way for moms, but for dads, it's like, man, I have a feeling and I'm actually feeling something right now. Like I'm having some emotion that is taking place in my heart. I'm, I'm thinking something beyond just food, you know, and those, those, those kind of things. And so 
I'm looking at my four kids and they're eating bagels and just enjoying it. And especially the girls, they're, they're getting older and my oldest is 10 and my, my second is seven. And I just felt all this dad pride and this thank, thankfulness to the Lord. Oh God, thank you so much for, for my kids. And then we leave Panera Bread and I'm driving in the minivan and I just found myself expressing to my wife some things that I desire for the kids' lives. I think very natural parent stuff, right? That, oh man, it'd be really cool if they find their passion and kind of their thing in life that God's gifted them to do and be able to apply themselves in that way. And then I was reminded about this right here. Even the plans that I have as a dad that I believe are good, have I submitted those to God? And say, Lord, this is a plan. This is a direction. But ultimately, we want your plan for our kids. You know what's best for them and their, your will for their lives and really submitting our plans to the will of God. In verse 16, it says, But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So speaking evil of others is prideful, but also making plans that aren't submitted to God are prideful. Our country's prideful in that it makes plans without even beginning to submit them to the Lord. And we do the same thing when we don't let go. And now you're boasting in arrogance. You're boasting in pride. And all such boasting is evil if we make a plan without submitting it to God's direction. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go ahead and leave right now if you'd like to, because this last verse that we're going to read will wreck you. It'll wreck me, okay? This is one of those verses that really changes our concept. Okay, you're all still here, so you want to read it. So verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So God calls us to a bunch of things that we're not to do, right? And if we do those things, those are sin. But the Christian life is a lot more than just don'ts. It's also do's. These are things that God wants us to do. And that's when the Christian life gets exciting. So James says, therefore, in response to what we just read, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it is sin. You've been given this short amount of time. Instead of making plans that aren't submitted to God, Focus on the good things that God has put right in front of you and do those things. It's an extreme example, but it's definitely true. What if you were at the grocery store, go out into the parking lot, and you see a young child being severely abused by the parent, right? And they're just wailing on this child and wailing on this child and wailing on this child and hitting this child with their fists. And you, you walk away and you go, oh, it looks kind of dangerous, you know? Man, I sure hope somebody helps that child, right? No, we know what is the right thing to do there, to intervene in the life of, of that child. It's time to call 911 and stay there till the police show up because that's the right thing to be able to do. And so maybe there's good things that are right in front of our face that God's put on our hearts. It's now time to step into those things. As we approach this holiday week, Maybe there's someone in your circle in your life that God said, hey, just reach out to them in another way. Maybe it's someone at the grocery store that you see all the time. Someone who routinely is, is the checker for your, your groceries and the Lord's put them upon your heart. Maybe it's one of your neighbors. Maybe it says we'll be driving home today and we'll see something and the Lord's like, man, that, that's a need that I want you to be able to respond to. So what's this text telling us this morning? It's always a really important question to ask. 
not, you know, what is Eric saying, but what does the word of God say and what does God's word tell us to do? The first is stop speaking evil of others. Stop. If you find yourself being critical, gossiping about others, criticizing others, slanding others, this morning is the morning to stop. It's a serious issue. We're elevating ourselves above God's word. We're elevating ourselves above God himself. And then the second is place our plans in God's hands. It even rhymes. Place our plans in God's hands. Maybe December's all decked out. I'm gonna do this, do this, do that. Lord, if you will, if it's in your will for me to do these things, I'm surrendering those things to you. And then invest our lives in God's will. Invest our lives in God's will. Wouldn't it be tragic to waste our lives? We oftentimes look at a wasted life being a dying at 16, dying at 25, dying at, at 45, and we go, oh, they died so young. Maybe what would be worse is being 80 and doing absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God and being comfortable that whole entire time. And we get done with it and we go, what did I do with my life? absolutely nothing. And I was a child of God. I invested it in all of the wrong things. Wouldn't that be heartbreaking? So it's really not a matter of when we go home to be with the Lord, but how we're using the time that we've been given. And God's just and he's fair and he gives us all time. Like today, each of us get 24 hours today, don't we? It's not like you got 25 and I got 23 and I got shortchanged. We've all been given 24. So we want to invest it into to the will of God. And you're saying, well, what's the will of God? It's to know him and to make him known. And God wants to use us. And I get this sense that we're approaching the coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't know when that's going to happen. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. Anybody that tries to name the day and the hour is, is a false teacher. But as you look at scripture and you look at things that are happening, we're getting close Time is short in a general sense for all of humanity, but also time is very short for each and every one of us. So invest your life. Take time to invest in a relationship with Christ. Take steps of faith to tell people about Jesus in actions, in deed, and in words. Wouldn't it be awesome to get to heaven and there's like four or five people that are waiting for you and go, man, I'm so excited that you're here you were my coworker for five years and I, I knew that you were a Christian and you shared Christ with me in a couple times and I mocked you and I made fun of you and we went separate paths, but then later I received Christ as my savior and I was waiting for you to come and I wanted to thank you for investing Jesus into me. That is so worthwhile. That's so much more worthwhile than anything else. Somewhere in our lives, we need some daily reminders okay, am I investing in the right things? Am I investing my life in the will of God? And this is our last point. If we know to do good, do it. If we know to do good, do it. We're going to be held accountable to what we know. And if we have the knowledge of good, then let's walk in those things. I don't know about you, but I find this section of scripture to be very timely as we head into the month of December. December can be chaotic can be very stressful, but it can also be very intentional. Jesus Christ came to what? To give, to give his life for the ransom for many. He came to seek and to save the lost. One of the things that I love 
about the month of December is this, is many people are much more open to hearing about Christ. Tell them Merry Christmas with a big smile and just see what happens, you know? None of this happy holiday stuff. No, Christ is risen. And we get this opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. Let's stand together and let's...